The test of the morality of a society is what it does for its children. Dietrich Bonhoeffer. This is Ground Truthing, a Westchester Children's Association podcast. Welcome to Season 3 of Ground Truthing, a Westchester Children's Association podcast that offers policy insights from the ground up. I am your host, Erica Ayala. In the last episode of Ground Truthing, we heard from Mark Dones and their work at the National Innovation Service. As a reminder, Mark uses they, them pronouns. In October, Mark gave a keynote address at the 2019 WCA Advocacy Breakfast. In the fall, Mark said, poverty and homelessness are not as strongly correlated as racism and homelessness. On the next two episodes, Mr. Carl Bertrand and Dr. Lillian F. Reynolds will offer their thoughts on Mark's quote in relation to Westchester County data. Carl Bertrand is the founder and president of Program Design and Development, LLC. Program Design and Development specializes in helping public and private organizations develop effective and innovative programs with particular expertise in development and management of multi-agency collaborations. Dr. Lillian F. Reynolds is a social worker and the homelessness liaison for the Mount Vernon City School District. As you will hear, Dr. Reynolds' responsibilities include the identification and service to students in temporary housing according to the McKinney-Vento Act. Both will discuss how data guides their homelessness work, why varying definitions lead to inaccurate counts of the homelessness population, what about this work keeps them up at night, and how the history of race and racism impact homelessness today. We're very excited for this two-part podcast. We had such a great conversation with Mr. Bertrand and Dr. Reynolds that we wanted to give you not one, but two episodes. And now we will hear part one of our interview with Mr. Bertrand and Dr. Reynolds. We are here this morning with Dr. Lillian Reynolds, who serves as a social worker and homelessness liaison in the Mount Vernon City School District, as well as Mr. Carl Bertrand, who is the founder and CEO of Program Design and Development. How are you both doing this morning? Well, thank you. Great. Excellent. We are very excited to have you here. For our listeners, you might have guessed, but we are going to be talking about homelessness. This is coming off of our October advocacy breakfast and, of course, the report that came out making the invisible visible last summer. So first, let's get started with... When you're talking about homelessness, and again, last summer, WCA initiated and continued an ongoing conversation about homelessness. But um, after that report, making the invisible visible, have you seen any shifts in the conversation about homelessness as it pertains to Westchester youth and families? There's been pushback on accepting responsibility from the county for dealing with the doubled-up homeless. Uh, Widespread acknowledgement that the problem is three times larger than the official homeless, but a reluctance to take on dealing with more families. Uh, 
So I think what we have to do is we have to d refine the data to those who are specifically severely overcrowded or very unstably housed with lots of frequent moves and really get the county to acknowledge that those two groups need to be treated as homeless and we need to um, we need the Westchester Children's Association and its allies and the, um, the school liaisons to help us collect that data and define how many of them I'd like to add um, that the definition of homelessness has, has continued to be uh, a question among organizations through Department of Social Services um, and the, the, the school district. We follow the definition of homelessness as described and defined by the McKinney-Vento Act. This act um, I, I would think or I, I see has a, a deeper um, or wider reach in terms of who is homeless. In the county, they have a narrower view of who is homeless, which then leaves out many people who should be receiving services but cannot because they don't meet the definition of that particular organization. And so both of you bring up Two excellent points that I, th I believe were, were definitely the purpose and, and we wanted to highlight in the report, and that being how we look at data and how we're analyzing and assessing data. But a part of how we do that is by the definitions. And so if, if both of you maybe, and we'll start with you, Dr. Reynolds, if you can maybe dig a little bit deeper, maybe for someone who's not as familiar, you, you did break that down a little bit, but if you could, uh, you know, go in a, a little bit deeper as to what would you like someone as they enter into conversations about homelessness to truly understand about defining homelessness as you see it. According to the McKinney-Vento Act, homelessness would mean living with relatives, friends, or others because you lost your housing or because of economic hardship. Also, if you're living in a shelter or in a motel or hotel because you have nowhere else to go, and also in inadequate housing. So those are the basic guidelines for homelessness under the McKinney-Vento Act. With those, if a person is determined to be homeless, in the school district, they are entitled to immediate enrollment in the school. It is not necessary for them to have a lease or a deed in the district in order to be enrolled. Um, they can also receive transportation, even across district lines, if they are found to be homeless um, and that they left their home in Yonkers, but now they live in Mount Vernon. They can actually stay in the school in Yonkers and receive transportation to and from a different um, city within Westchester County. Um, and also that um, their special education services continue. They're supposed to be able to participate fully in school activities before school, after school, summer programs, get support services to help, help with school supplies through Title I, get free meals without filling out an application, enroll in pre-K, Head Start, and other preschool programming, and get help applying for financial aid if you are um, uh, hoping to go to college. And so you've outlined, Dr. Reynolds, the services that are available under the circumstances and how those are defined. But there was one definition um, or criteria that I'd, I'd love for you to just give us a little bit more about. And I believe that the term that you used was inadequate housing. And what, how, what it would be an example of inadequate housing that might fall under? 
our definition definition of homelessness. So even if a family has a lease or deed to a home, if that home is inadequate in these ways, so if you don't have heat, gas, electricity, or if it's wintertime but the windows are not caulked or the windows do not keep out the cold air, or if there's water damage from the ceiling above, you could be in an apartment or even a two-family house or multi-dwelling facility where there's water that is now coming into your apartment, which could cause problems with respiratory issues, problems with asthma, problems with um, colds, flu, you know, all kinds of other medical conditions um, that your housing does not protect you from. Also, inadequate housing could be when a person has run away from home and now they're sleeping in an abandoned building, a boarded up building, or they're sleeping in the hallway of an apartment building because they have nowhere else to go. These are all inadequate places to live and they're more. Um, And so what we do as homeless liaisons in our district and other homeless liaisons across the country, we do an assessment to find out what type of housing you are currently living in and whether or not it's adequate. Thank you for that, Dr. Reynolds. And I do want to come back over to you, Mr. Bertrand, because, again, you gave us the data, right? And some of the ways that even how we look at the data has caused some difference of opinion. And so hearing the definitions and how Dr. Reynolds was able to break that down, what does that look like on the data side of things? Well, that's the data for the U.S. Department of Education. From the U.S. Department of Housing and Urban Development, what they call the literally homeless are people who are living in shelters, in the streets, are in places not designed for human habitation. But they also have categories of the homeless that no one in Westchester has documented and that aren't really clear. One is um, children, youth, and families who have had uh, no lease in 60 days and who've had two moves in 60 days and are expected to have more, and that's called unstably housed. That counts as homeless. You're eligible for some services, but no one in Westchester has ever been counted that way because no one has ever tried to document it. And another one is um, severely overcrowded is more than one and a half people in a room. But again, no one has been counted as homeless that way because no one has ever documented it. The question is going to be, when the county workers find that you have some place to live, they think, wonderful, we don't have to put you in a shelter because you have other adequate housing. And sometimes you do. Like if your aunt has a spare bedroom, that's wonderful. If six of you are sleeping on the floor, maybe that's not wonderful. If six of you are sleeping in a floor and there's rats and water coming through the ceiling, that's definitely not wonderful. What we need to do is to find some minimum criteria that Westchester County and the County Executive Latimer say, not in Westchester. That's not a decent standard for families and children in Westchester, and we won't accept that as where we will put our children and make some clear standards. And it seems severely overcrowded and unstably housed could be the sort of bottom line that we could get them to agree. And it wouldn't be all the doubled-up families, but at least those two groups might be a starting place where we say that we will get them emergency housing and we will get them homeless case managers and we will get them shelter supplements, an additional rent, and help finding other housing and all the things that we offer the literally homeless now.
And so I know that, Mr. Bertrand, you have here in Westchester been able to really uplift this idea and this concept of evidence-based targeting. But the question that I have for both of you is, it sounds as though some of the things that fall under their criteria relate to other things that are happening in Westchester County. But for some reason or other, when we're looking at some of the state definitions, the county definitions, those factors in how they relate to education, poverty, um, location, don't seem to have been fully included in the original definition. We'll start with you, Mr. Bertrand. Why, you know, if you would, uh, you know, surmise why you think that might be the case. I think doors are open now. That if we actually collect the data, there are ways to address it. Even the uh, the uh, county commissioner of social services now says, well, some people think we need to address the doubled up, but there are just too many. But he, so he knows that there is a rising movement. So we need to be able to say, but it's only 212, or it's only 78, or something manageable where it isn't 4,000 or 5,000 is a starting point. And if we could make it manageable, and then there are county grants. I mean, uh, New York State, Empire State Supported Housing Initiative grants that can provide ongoing subsidies for supportive services and operating grants for housing for doubled up families and make it feasible to support it. And housing agencies can apply for it except no one can write a need statement because no one's ever documented how many we have. So if we do find there's a lot, someone can actually start to address it, but no one can ever start to address it until someone documents this uh, precise need. So the next step is really to collect the data and show the need, and then we can begin to to make a difference and start chipping away at it. And so if you can document it, we can fix it. Totally agree. Totally agree with Mr. Bertrand on that. So now when it comes to the other issues that impact poverty and homelessness, it leads you right to education or the lack of quality education. We've had these discussions before with WCA. Positive things have come out of those discussions, and there is data to back up what we say. So the data shows um, that more than 72% of Hispanic and black students um, cannot read at grade, grade level. They cannot do math computations at grade level. And these issues are in place because of segregation along racial and economic lines. So in terms of education, we need to look at how we can make sure that every child, every American citizen, everyone who lives in America, whether you're a citizen here or not, that you receive quality education. Because we always believed and still believe that education can get you out of poverty. When you are educated, you get to make choices and decisions of what you're gonna do with your life and who you're gonna be. You can decide where you're gonna live. You can decide what college you're gonna go to, what field of a study that you wanna um, pursue, and then what, what type of um, occupation that you will fill so that you can also work to end poverty. These are issues that have come out through our discussions. These are issues that are backed up by statistics, and we must do something about it. 
I love that you brought in those statistics, especially when it comes to the the racial breakdown. And I I do want to get to that. Um, But I want to go back to, we mentioned the advocacy breakfast that Westchester Children's Association hosted. And Mark Dones was the speaker. And Mark stated, poverty and homelessness are not as strongly correlated as racism and homelessness. And when we talk about whether it's education, whether it's housing, whether it's healthcare, a lot of times that seems to be the case. And so I know that Dr. Reynolds, you offered some data, but I want to ask both of you if education perhaps is one of the ways that we can face this data and face this challenge head on. What are some other things when it comes to homelessness that you would like to see either be reduced or hopefully eradicated altogether so that the challenges that both of you face when it comes to this topic day to day, that we can really take those and, and, and make some impact? Well, first of all, this isn't the solution. This is just one of the things that Mark Dunnes did is worked with HUD to help them formulate a requirement that every local continuum of care for the homeless had to analyze how race was impacting their local homeless problem and showed a very simple chart that analyzed it. And you basically took your local data on the percentage of the population, the percentage of poverty, and the percentage of the homeless, and you showed it by white, black, and Hispanic. A very simple chart. And it was astonishing. And when I looked at our Westchester data, which I had collected and I didn't know how to present, and I didn't know what to do with it, and I still don't know what to do with it, except I asked the Westchester Children's Association, help me put together a group to act on the obvious racism that has made this happen. And here's an example. So here's the data for whites and for blacks. And it's the percentage of Westchester's population, poverty population, and homelessness. So for whites, it's 67% of the population, 46% of the poverty, and 33% of the homeless. For blacks, it's 14% of the population, 24% of the poverty, 61% of the homeless. It's unbelievable. Well, former county executive Astorino used to say it's not about the color of your skin, it's about the color of your money, and it's just clear that that ain't so. One of the questions is, well, why does that happen? So then I looked at... um, the housing discrimination data and Westchester Residential Opportunities is the only organization in Westchester County that looks at evidence of housing discrimination. And so they found um, that when they investigated, they would, for instance, send two people, one black and one white, with the same income or sometimes the, um, the person in the protected class would have a slightly higher income and try to rent the same apartment. And what they found was discrimination still existed in Westchester, and they found the highest rate of discrimination was actually disability. At 38% um, failure rate 
uh, for disability, 29% failure rate or uh, unequal for family status, i.e. having children, 28% for race, and 9% for national origin. And Newsday found that it was pervasive all through Long Island, and basically it's pervasive all through New York State, and one presumes all through the country. But it's like segregation is alive and well. And one last thing, and then I'll be quiet because I don't know what the answer is. I just know that it's a problem. There is a study that measures segregation by like how what are your odds that you live near people of different races and by that case Westchester has 24% Hispanic population 24% but 19 Westchester towns and villages have Latino populations of less than 2% and Two-thirds of Westchester towns, villages, and cities have black populations of less than 5%. And it also happens within communities. And out of the 15 most segregated New York cities, Mount Vernon, Yonkers, Porchester, New Rochelle, and White Plains are all in the top 15 for having segregated neighborhoods within the cities. And the most segregated city in Westchester is Mount Vernon, and Yonkers is number two. It's amazing. I'm from Mississippi, and I wanted to uh, buy a house. And I looked in Yonkers, and they were saying segregation forever. And people were wanting to go to the Supreme Court and fight for states' rights. And I have pictures of three ancestors that died at Vicksburg. I thought we settled that 100 years earlier. And it was like, no. So I went to Greenberg, where it was an actual checkerboard pattern of black, white, black, white, black, white. And for 25 years, it stayed that way, where the both races felt comfortable in the neighborhood, and it's just rare, and it's astonishing that here in the land of freedom riders, we should we should send them up from Mississippi to teach all about integration. <laughs> wow, that's <laughs> definitely powerful. And I mean, just the we were talking about freedom schools offline, and there is there is uh, to your point, Mr. Bertrand, there is a cultural, uh, historic history to the civil rights movement right here in Westchester County, yet we're still seeing these numbers. This is 2020 right now. One last thought. I'm from Mississippi, and I never went to a segregated school, ever. Yeah. 1962, I was integrated. Which makes me wonder, Dr. Reynolds, uh, first I want you to react to that, but then also to think about having worked in the school district and alongside educators for so long. There have to be ways that the education system is taking these numbers. You, I know that you are prepared with your numbers. These are numbers that you look at all of the time, but what does that look like as far as assessment and, and moving that to either programs or interventions? What what are some of the things that school districts, that the Mount Vernon School District has been able to do by looking at these numbers to then implement action? Mm -hmm. Okay, so let me first talk, say a few more numbers. So the on-time high school graduation rates among public school students by race. So in New York, all students graduate on time at the percentage rate of 81.8%. White students, 89.8%. His, uh, Hispanic students, 71.2, and blacks, 71.5. Suspensions among public school students in New York. All students, 3.2, white, 2.7, Hispanic, 2.3, and black, 7.1.
very stark reality about how certain people of certain races are not given the same equal opportunity to excel or do well in school. So we talk about your school in Mississippi and the fact that 1962, your schools were integrated. Well, in 1954, all schools were supposed to be integrated. And everybody knows that Brown versus Board of of, uh, Education, Topeka, Kansas, never did it. And it has never been done in many many cities and states around this country. And it seems as though nobody can make them do it. There is a consent decree right now that has been... Uh, sent against Westchester County because of the housing patterns that were unfair practices throughout the years that were never corrected. So housing practices, we know, could possibly change how the schools look, what the composition of students would be if you would change the housing pattern. So I believe in doing that. However, because it hasn't been done, it seems like nobody can force it to be done, I then believe that you should make the schools, each one of them, quality schools. So that no matter what race you are, you get a quality education, you have access to be able to be upwardly mobile so that you can go on to college and do well or go on to whatever trade or skill that you would choose to do. However, our schools, I do not believe, are looking at these numbers as they should. Oh, too bad. Oh, those poor little black kids, they they can't learn. They're getting suspended all the time without looking at why and without looking at alternative ways to make the change so that they can receive an education. You talked about um, the Freedom School program. There are other programs like Freedom School that we know have data that support the fact that, yes, we can read. Yes, we can do math computation. Yes, we are smart. Um, Those are summer programs. There are other programs that should be instituted within the academic school year during the, the eight to four and after school programs, those programs should be implemented into the school district so that our students can excel and then they're not being done. So those are those things that I would think, and I've used them myself, that I know work that should be employed. So, so whether or not you live in one of the higher uh, economic school districts or not, that you still have an equal opportunity and access to quality education so that you can be successful. WCA would once again like to thank Mr. Carl Bertrand and Dr. Lillian F. Reynolds for joining this episode of Ground Truthing. Thank you for listening to this episode of Ground Truthing. Ground Truthing is a Westchester Children's Association production. The show is edited by Eloise Sherrod, and original music is composed by Al Sanek. <laughs>